And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 82. Yesterday we concluded in Ezra chapter 6, so we're going to pick up in Ezra chapter 7. However, let's frame this. Uh, at the end of chapter 6, we see that the uh, temple has been uh, rebuilt and dedicated under the, under the direction of Zerubbabel. And, um, and the prophets uh, Haggai and, and Zechariah. And uh, so the events uh, starting in chapter 7, uh, we see that Ezra himself is now going to be commissioned to leave Babylon and take the second wave of uh, captives, exiles, back into Jerusalem from uh, Babylon. And this takes place several decades later, probably 50 to 70 years later, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, and so they're making their second venture, uh, second wave of people that are going back to Jerusalem. And so we see... Uh, in chapter 7 and verse 1, this is after these events, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, and then uh, it says Ezra, and it lists Ezra's uh, lineage, and we see that Ezra is a descendant of Aaron, the high priest back in the time of Moses, and so that's the line that Ezra comes from. And so uh, it says in verse 8, uh, Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month during the seventh year of the king. He began the journey from, uh, from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month uh, since the gracious hand of God was on him. And so that's about a 400, excuse me, a 400, that's about a four-month uh, travel time over about 900 miles, something like that. And so can you imagine making a 900-mile journey on foot in four months? And uh, that, that, that's wild. Anyway... Uh, we see in verse 10, it says, Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study uh, the law of the Lord, obeying it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra knew the downfall of his ancestors, how they had ventured off from the statutes and ordinances of the law. And he was determined that that was not going to happen under his watch. And so he wanted to make sure that he understood the law of Moses and whatnot, and he was purposed to teach it um, uh, to the people that were going back with him uh, because he wanted them, obviously, also to know, to know the law of the Lord so that they would not violate the law and have similar consequences befall on them like uh, uh, had happened with their ancestors. And so <clears throat> in verse 11, uh, we find that uh, the king of Persia at the time, King Artaxerxes, um, had written him a letter, written him being Ezra a letter. He gave him a letter because he wanted him to have power. And essentially the letter was to anybody uh, under or in the empire, obviously under his uh, kingship, um, was not to do anything in order to um, uh, become an obstacle or whatever with regard to Ezra's uh, journey and purpose once he got in Jerusalem. And so this letter is written to Ezra, but it's written for his governors, satraps, and officials in his empire so that they know uh, essentially what not to do with regard to Ezra and his caravan of people. And so it says in verse 11, um, again, this is the letter from the king. This is the text of the letter uh, King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest and scribe, an expert in matters of the Lord's commands and statutes for Israel. Uh, Artaxerxes, uh, king of kings, to Israel excuse me, Artaxerxes, king of king, to Ezra, the priest, an expert in the law of God of the heavens. And so we see that Artaxerxes is actually um, 
empowering Ezra with authority and recognizing and honoring him because he's, he's calling him an expert in the law of the Lord of the God of, he- of heavens. Essentially saying, you need to recognize, you, my people who are under my command, also need to recognize him as such. It says, greetings. This is verse 13. I issue a decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including their priests and Levites, who want to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. Uh, You are sent by the king and his seven counselors to evaluate Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your possession. You are to also bring the silver and gold uh, the king and his counselors have willingly given you, um, have given uh, to the Lord of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. And so we see that the king and his counselors have given gold and silver to Ezra uh, for the purposes of uh, the house of God in Jerusalem, gave them to Ezra. And so, and all the silver and gold you receive throughout the province of Babylon, together with the freewill offerings given by the people and the priests to the house uh, of their God in Jerusalem. He says, not only the silver and gold for me, but anything you collect on the way, uh, any offerings from the people, they're all to be used for the purposes of the house of the Lord your God in Jerusalem. Uh, we drop down to verse 19. Uh, Artaxerxes says, um, deliver to the God of Jerusalem all our articles given to you for the service of the house of your God. You may use the royal treasury to pay for anything else needed for the house of your God. And so, you know, Artaxerxes is telling them what this money we're giving you is, is to honor the Lord your God. You know, that's what you're to use this for, to honor the Lord your God. And then it says um, in verse 21, I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all of the treasurers in the region west of the Euphrates River. And so he's talking to um, basically his IRS agents, okay, in the land west of the Euphrates uh, with regard, again, to what they are not to do. And so, or or what they are to do and not to do, I should say. It says, um, whatever Ezra the priest, an expert in the law of the God of the heavens, ask of you must be provided in full. And so King Artaxerxes is telling his minions, look, if Ezra asks you for anything, you are to give it to him in full. You know, so he doesn't send uh, Ezra back to Judah empty handed. He's sending him loaded with resources and whatnot to get the job done in Israel. Now, why would the king, who is not a Jew, um, and uh, apparently, you know, not that familiar uh, with the with the faith, why would he be so gracious and generous, not only in sending money, but in letting the people leave and go back in the first place? Yes, a decree was made by Cyrus, you know, probably a hundred years prior or whatever, um, but he's still following through and giving them money and resources in order to accomplish this. And so why would a guy who's not in the faith be doing this? I think we're going to get an answer. Verse 23. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven must be done diligently for the house of the God of the heavens, so that the wrath will not fall on the realm of the king and his sons. (laughs) So we see that Artaxerxes is sending Ezra back with people and resources uh, because he doesn't want the wrath of God to fall on him. And so he is demonstrating a fear of the Lord here that many of the Israelites themselves did not have. And so it says in verse 24, be advised 
that you do not. So again, this is to his governors and satraps and leaders in the region west of the Euphrates. Be advised that you do not have the authority to impose tribute, duty, and land tax on any priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. He's taken their power to tax anything that has to do with the house of God in Jerusalem. He said, don't do this. You can't do this. I, the king, am ordering you not to do this. It says in verse 25, And you, Ezra, according to God's wisdoms that, that you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people in the region west of the Euphrates who know the laws of your God and to teach anyone who does not know them. Huh. So in this letter, he's given Ezra the authority to promote magistrates and judges to assign them in the land west of the Euphrates. And this is to all the people who know the law of the Lord and to teach anyone who doesn't know. So this applies to non-Jews as well as Jews. Essentially, if you really look into this, the king is given Ezra the authority of the governor of the region. He's basically supplanting the authority of the officials that are already there because he can appoint judges and magistrates um, uh, to hold people accountable, both Jews and non-Jews. It says in verse 26, anyone who does not keep the law of the Lord, excuse me, anyone who does not keep the law of your God and the law of the king, let the appropriate judgment be executed against them, whether it be death banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. And so the king has given Ezra the authority to promote judges and appoint judges and magistrates that can uh, uh, control behavior, if you will, uh, compelled by the law that he institutes. And so, and so he's given the authority to hold people accountable to the law of the Lord and the law of the king. And so again, this has given him the power essentially of the leader of that land, of that region. And so imagine if you were the governor or an official or whatever that was already in the region west of the Euphrates and you get this information, it's like you have basically been replaced is what it comes down to in, in my uh, opinion, you know, based on what this letter says. And so, um, so when uh, Ezra receives this letter, he reads it. And then he is, he's, he's just overwhelmed and blessed. And so what he says is, uh, I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God. And I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. So he got this letter, giving him all of this power and authority and blessing and resources from the king. And he knew it was from God. And so he says he took courage in that because he was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God. And so then he started gathering the people in Babylon that were going to go back to Jerusalem with him. And so that's what chapter eight is about, is about covering all those who went. It goes into some level of detail with regard to who went back to Judah with Ezra. And then um, we hop over to verse 21 in chapter eight. And it says, um, I, Ezra, pro uh, proclaimed a fast by the uh, proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River, so that we might humble ourselves before the Lord our God and ask him for a safe journey uh, for us, our dependents, and our possessions. Uh, verse 22, he 
He says, I did this. He said, the reason I called a fast and gathered everybody together for the uh, Lord's protection, he says, I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey, since we had told him the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, uh, but his fierce anger, anger is against all those who abandon him. In other words, as we're saying, look, I didn't ask for infantry and cavalry from the king because I told him essentially how great our God was and how protective he is of us and this and the other. And so how could I ask the king for, you know, uh, an army or for a, a battle unit or whatever to protect us on our journey going back to Jerusalem when I just told him about how God is so uh, faithful in his provision? And so, but we can see that Ezra was concerned about it. Even, and so he called a fast and this, that, and the other in order to make sure that they were protected on their journey. And it says in verse 31, he says, we set out from the Ahava River on the 12th day of the first month uh, to go to Jerusalem. We were strengthened by our God and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from ambush along the way. So we see that the fast and prayer that Ezra had called for prior to them setting out on their journey for protection, God listened and he responded. And it's, so it says, um, so we arrived at Jerusalem and rested uh, there for three days. So they complete their trip. Uh, they're in Jerusalem now, and they're resting from their journey. And so if we drop down uh, to 35, it says that, uh, you know, during the resting period, the exiles who had returned from the, uh, from the captivity burned, uh, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. And it says in verse 36, but they also delivered the king's edicts, they also delivered the king's edicts to the royal satraps and governors of the region west of the Euphrates so that they would support the people and the house of God. And so can you, again, like I said before, could you imagine? So the Israelites just get there and I don't, the word doesn't say how many are with them, but obviously there were thousands, maybe tens of thousands. And so they deliver them uh, the letter uh, to the governors and the satraps in the region, essentially neutering them <laughs> with regard to their power. And so uh, I can imagine in reading that the officials were not too happy. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, After these things uh, had been done, the leaders approached me and said, so the leaders um, had approached Ezra and said, uh, The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, uh, Jebusites, Ammonites, uh, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Indeed, the Israelite men has, have taken some uh, of their daughters and wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. Now, a couple points I want to make here. I don't know if this is talking about the people that had just arrived in Jerusalem that were in Ezra's caravan, I don't think that was the case because I don't think they had time uh, to do all of this stuff. I think these are the Jews who had came in the first wave with Zerubbabel and had been there for many decades, you know, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. And so I think that this is uh, the Israelites that are being referred to here. The second thing is, it says, uh, that they've taken these foreign women 
as, for wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. And so a lot of times uh, people will read the Bible out of context in order to support their own narrative. This is not talking about mixed race marriages. This is talking about mixed faith marriages. And so, uh, because how do we know that? Because the Jews and the non-Jews of the peoples that were listed here um, of the detestable practices were from the same or very similar Semitic backgrounds. And so it, their backgrounds, their racial composition, in other words, was the same. But they had these detestable practices because they were honoring idols and following other gods. And that was the issue. And even in the New Testament, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, where Paul warns people about not being um, unequally yoked. Now, that's not the verb that's used here in this version of the Bible. But it says in verse 14 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not become partners, that's the key word, with those who do not believe, for what partnership is there between the righteous and the law and, and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement uh, does the temple of God have with idols? And so, in other words, he's saying, don't become unequally yoked. Don't become, don't, don't go into covenant with, with people who don't believe as you believe. It's not saying, you know, not to have friends or this and the other. It's talking about don't be bound, you know, because if you're bound, you know, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be uh, in uh, very close, intimate friendships or whatever, whether it be in business, you know, if you're bound, you know, with unbelievers and you're going to have problems because what's going to happen is that their, um, their ethic, their, 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 you know, how they live their lives and is, is going to be, there's going to be a disconnect. Okay. And that's going to, that's going to cause issues down the line. And so, uh, so the warning is against that. And so we see that, uh, here, uh, in the old Testament, that this had been repeatedly violated throughout history by the Israelites and then marrying uh, um, uh, non-Israelite women and then being led astray. Then it says, the leaders and officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. And so they're talking about the Levites and the priests and other and the officials. They've also done this. When I heard this report, I being Ezra, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of the uh, hair from my head and beard, and sat down devastated. So we see that, that Ezra was devastated by what had happened. And so, you know, that, that response is kind of interesting. It says he's devastated. <clears throat> Verse 4, everyone who trembled at the words of, God of, of the God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of, of the exiles while I sat devastated until the evening uh, offering. At the evening offering, I got up um, from my time of humiliation in my tunic and robe torn. I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God and said, and so he got up at the evening. Now he's going into prayer. He's going to prayer and petition before the Lord. It says, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you, my God, because our inequities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Let's drop down to verse 9, still a part of the prayer. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. He has extended grace to us in the presence of the Persian kings, given us relief so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. Um, 
to give us a wall from Judah, to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 10. Now, our God, what can we say in light of this? For we have abandoned the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, saying, the land you are entering uh, to possess is an impure land. The surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness uh, by their um, impurity and detestable practices. So do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters for your sons. So, so we see that the word is reiterating that the reason is because they have given themselves over to these unclean practices and detestable practices. That's why you're not to marry these people. In verse 13, it says, After all that has happened to us because of our evil deeds and terrible guilt, though you, our God, have punished us less than our inequities uh, deserve and have allowed us to survive. So we see that Ezra is really humble before the Lord. He says, we deserve more than you've given us. And you've allowed us to survive, even though we probably deserve not to survive. Should we break your commands again and intermarry with these peoples who commit these detestable practices? <clears throat> Wouldn't you become so angry with us that you would destroy us, leaving uh, neither remnant or survivor? Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we survive as a remnant, as a remnant today. Uh, here we are before you with our guilt, though no one can stand in your presence because of this. And so Ezra is just praying to the Lord, saying, look, I'm not trying to hide anything. I know that this is detestable. This is what's happening. This is what's happening, God. Please uh, hear my heart and what's going on. And then in chapter 10, it says, while Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. Um, then Shechaniah uh, responded to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women uh, from the surrounding peoples, but there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Verse three, let us therefore make a, con a covenant before our Lord or before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the command of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this, is, uh, for this matter is your responsibility, and we support you. Be strong and take action. And so this is what he's talking to Ezra. This is your responsibility. We're behind you. We're going to send away all of the foreign women and their children so we can eradicate this sin from the land. It says in verse 5, Then Ezra got up and made, his, um, and made the leading priests, Levites, and all Israel take an oath to do what had been said. So they took the oath. And so... They took the oath to get rid of everybody that was there. And this process took about three months when they cleared the land of all the, uh, the women and the children that the men had uh, intermarried with. I don't know where they went. I don't know where they sent them. It sounds harsh. It sounds cruel. But apparently that was enough to appease the Lord with, the, with regard to the sin that they had committed. And with that, we have concluded the book of Ezra, and we will go into the book of Nehemiah tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.